0: Hey everybody, this is Gus G and you're listening to Diary of a Madman, the ultimate Aussie podcast.
1: Welcome back to Diary of the Mad Men, the ultimate Aussie Osborne podcast where we discuss all things Aussie and Aussie related. I am Josh Crum and with me as always is Mr. Dan Drago. How's it going, Dan?
0: How's it going, Josh? I am super excited to be back.
1: Yeah, me too, man. You know, the fact that we had to go bi-weekly, I know it sucks for the listeners. It sucks for us also. You and I love getting together and discussing all things Aussie and Aussie related. But you know, with our work schedules and kids, and you coach football, my kid plays basketball. We, you know, we never hardly have time. We have to really struggle to make time to do this. But uh, I'm glad to hear your voice, man. Uh, glad to be back at it tonight.
0: Yeah, no question. And obviously, we make the time for our listeners. And obviously, we both have a huge passion for Aussie and all Aussie things related. So we're super excited to do it. I wish we could do it weekly, but I think we're settling into a nice schedule with the biweekly um, releases.
1: Yeah, I think so. But, you know, sometimes things happen. We do want to let listeners know right up front, we had a special guest planned for tonight, and unfortunately that fell through last second. We did have a topic in mind that we were going to do before we had said guest committed to come on the show. So we're going to back up to that topic again. So, unfortunately, we didn't quite put in the prep work we often do for these shows. So, we may not have quite as much information as usual, but like you said a few weeks back, we are Aussie historians. I think we can wing it just fine. What do you think?
0: There's no question. Nobody knows more about our topic tonight than you and I. And listeners, please understand that guest will be on soon and it's a big one. So, stay tuned.
1: Yeah, we're so excited about it, man. I truly think it was just a matter of, uh, not getting an email quick enough. So I think it was that simple because it was kind of last minute and it looked like it was going to work out. And uh, I think that person agreed and then hasn't seen the email since to know what time and place to meet up with us. So they'll be on shortly and we're so excited about it. In the meantime, man. Do you think it's the Calm Before the Storm? Man, there's this is the first episode we've had in months where there hasn't really been any
0: news on the new record. Calm Before the Storm moment, you think? I do. I know their pictures were released this week with Ozzy meeting up with Chad Smith and Andrew Watt, who is the producer, guitar player, and drummer on his new record. Well, at least half of the drums. I think the other half is Taylor Hawkins. To me, I think they're getting together to listen one final time through the record. That's the gut feeling I have. So I agree, it is the Calm Before the Storm. I think we're going to get a single right after Christmas, around New Year's. That's my gut feeling.
1: Yeah, I would say you're right. My prediction was December for a new single. I'm starting to believe that's not going to happen as we get further and further along. With the holidays coming up, you really don't want to release a single right in the middle of the holidays. That's kind of poor timing, so I don't see them doing that. But I'm like you, man. When the pictures came out, I believe that might have been a listening party. I I think that was a, hey, man, we got it finished, Ozzy. Come give us your final say that this is okay. You know, they could have been getting together for Ozzy's birthday, I suppose yeah that's uh, possible for sure because we don't know exactly when those photos were taken they could have been a few days old but a lot of the the online chatter was how Ozzy looked aged and this and that and you know to be honest he didn't look greatest he was kind of hunched over and stuff but a lot of that for me is just his hair is gray and i feel like when he lets his hair color go people really jump on that it's oh he looks so old when really i don't think his hair looks bad gray i kind of when he done the whole thing for the gq photo shoot or whatever and he had like the brown hair with the gray streaks. I thought it looked fucking awesome, actually. I thought he should keep it like that.
0: I agree. That's when I thought it looked the best. I'm not a big fan of it all gray. I like the hybrid look. I think it looks really sophisticated and he looks badass. He just looks really frail. We know the surgeries and the fall is really taking a toll on the man. And he's 73, you know, just having a birthday. Happy birthday, Ozzy.
1: Happy birthday, Ozzy.
0: And, you know, it's just, he's a frail old man. I hate to say it. It breaks my heart, but that surgery has really fucked him up. You could just tell by the way he walks, the way he stands. He's got a permanent hunch now. I definitely know it's about the age and everybody thinks, oh, he looks so old. He looks so old. I have people texting me. Oh, did you see the Nwazi pictures? But for me, my concern is always his health. I just hope he's strong, gets back to the gym. He loves to work out. You know, as Zach says, doing his squats and his bench press.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I'm with you, man. His, his health is the most important thing. Same as canceling the tour dates. I mean, no one's mad at Ozzy for canceling or postponing tour dates. I mean, he has a right to make sure his health is best first. And that's what we all want from him. If you're a true fan or a true human being, feeling humility, that's definitely the most important thing is making sure that he's around with us for as long as he possibly can be. There's no question about that. So. No real Aussie news this week, Was there anything else you'd like to talk about before we get on to today's topic?
0: Yeah, there is. Billboard released their top 200 albums of 2021 this year, and it's real surprising data. And I know it's going to annoy people, but rock is officially dead in the mainstream. I'm not saying that rock and metal isn't huge in the underground. There are probably more metal bands and rock bands than there's ever have been with the technology and recording from home. And easy to find studios. But at the end of the day, rock and metal used to dominate the Billboard album charts. Pop, rap dominated the singles charts, but music was always dominated by rock on the album charts and metal. But listen to the stat. The new stats came out this week top 200 albums of the year. Not one, not one modern rock or metal album made the top 200, only five rock releases. We're in the top 200. And listen to this. Fleetwood Mac Rumors, Journey's Greatest Hits, ACDC's Back in Black, Nirvana's Nevermind, and Metallica's Black Album. Those are the only five albums that cracked the Billboard Top 200. Nothing released past 1991. I mean, it's insane. Not the new Mastodon. You know, none of the new rock records that came out this year. It shocks me. Come to find out. The only new rock album that cracked this chart in 2020 was Ozzy's Ordinary Man, and that landed at 199. It barely cracked it. Sad to say, because I'm such a big rock guy, I'll be perfectly blunt, I can't stand modern music of the pop and rap variety. It just doesn't have enough melody for me. But it really bums me out that rock is officially dead in the mainstream. What do you think?
1: Man, that is absolutely astonishing. And, you know, we can complain that the Grammys don't have enough about rock on them or you watch the uh, American Music Awards and there's no rock representation or things like that. But, you know, the proof is in the pudding, man. Like, we simply aren't putting up the numbers to draw attention for them to have to put us on there, it's that simple. Like you said, it's underground. What rock, rock fans are are passionate. There's no question about that. I mean, we are the most passionate fan base of music I think there is. But it's really sad to see, man, that we just simply aren't putting up the numbers that any of the other genres are. And it's been a really quick decline in that market also and for ordinary man to be the only one that cracked the top 200 that was new last year for one kudos to ordinary man that's fucking awesome that if it had to be one it was that one you know but at 199 and so many people gave ozzy shit for recording with post malone you know truth of the matter is i hate to say it right now post malone's the one that recorded with ozzy i mean it's like that album was fucking huge it was in the top 10 for like I know of three or four months, maybe longer. It probably longer than that. It it was in the Billboard forever. Ordinary I, man. No, Post Malone's yeah, Hollywood okay, bleeding album. Yeah, oh yeah, that was yeah, a yeah. huge
0: record. Absolutely, it was
1: huge. It, it was top ten. For, I said three or four months. I think it was longer than that. It was for fucking ever. Ordinary man was released and went out of the top like one hundred, and Hollywood's bleeding by Post Malone was still like top fifteen or some shit unfortunately that's just the way the needle moves but you know it's all about the youth the youth are the one that buy records or albums and they're the ones that go around really supporting the bands the way we used to also the kids are the ones that buy the concert tickets they're the ones that buy the albums and kids just don't listen to stuff like they used to they don't listen to a lot of hard rock my kids love it but they don't love it like they do some of the more modern hip-hop and things like that that's out there right now so definitely discouraging though that you have found that and uh, decided to share it with us. I appreciate that.
0: Yeah, you know, you think that's a great (laughs) point, man, about two things. One, we know we have very popular rock radio hosts that always bitch about no representation at the Grammys, and the Grammys have no clue. The Grammys know exactly what the fuck they're thinking. We might not like it, but this is proof is in the fucking pudding. There is no rock albums that was released this year that has cracked the top 200 of the year. What does that tell you? nobody is listening. The kids are not listening to modern rock. Let's not even talk Ozzy and Metallica and ACDC and the bands that I love. What about the modern metal bands? Where are the Ice Nine Kill fans? I can't even name any of these modern metal bands. It's not my style, but you know my tastes generally go more underground. But where are the people that are releasing modern metal records that are not cracking anything here? That's what I want to know
1: yeah i agree totally i mean and you know if you look at new bands when i say new in the past 10 or 12 years ghost stands out as a band a lot of people love and are very popular among the genre and i like them you like them yep love them but still yet when they tour they're playing five thousand seat venues they're not selling out massive stadiums either or when i say massive stadiums i mean you know the twenty thousand seaters like like ozzy always has played and stuff like that the amphitheaters and so on and so forth
0: my brother-in-law just got me tickets for volbeat ghost which is coming here to Phoenix um, next year, and they're playing a 5,000-seat arena. Those two bands touring together, so really good point.
1: That's exactly, yeah, they're a a dual headliner and still just playing 5,000 seats. I mean, you hate to say it, but that's, you know, and as far as modern metal goes, they're not exactly brand new, but that's about as modern as you can get from my standpoint of established, and that's what you're getting. You're getting 5,000-seaters. You know, Ozzy Osbourne 73, but still does 25,000-seat venues every night he goes out. Maiden into yeah. Sadly, these younger bands just aren't keeping up. I mean, I hate to say that, but it's just the proof is in the pudding, like you said. And sadly, the Grammys do have a clue. I mean, at the end of the day, when Megadeth wins the Grammy for Dystopia, and I'm totally stoked about it, but it's presented at 3 o'clock in the day and no one's there. Ultimately, the, the typical viewing public don't give a fuck, you know. Dan and Josh and a guy named Mr. Trunk on the radio, we give a fuck, but they don't care what we give a fuck about. Right. Because they know that typically your suburban house mom don't give a shit about megadeth anymore so it sucks man it sucks to see that and it sucks to know that our generation is all that's really keeping it going
0: make no mistake about it i am rooting for the modern metal bands and the modern rock bands so i might not be big fans of them but i hope they all succeed and they all dominate the charts that's what's going to keep rock music alive and you know i know people really give gene simmons shit when he says rock is dead but i gotta be honest rock seems to be dead in the mainstream not in the underground. Like I said, there are more kick-ass metal bands in the underground than there's ever been. So it's not a slight there. We are talking about the mainstream. And most metal fans have that who-gives-a-fuck attitude. Well, then don't bitch when they're not on the Grammys and they're not getting into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because they do go hand-in-hand.
1: Yeah, totally. And like you said, underground, Like I've always viewed Motorhead as a massive. Like They're the prime example of what an underground metal band is supposed to be. Uh, underground hard rock punk band they were never a household name like acdc or black sabbath but motorhead is fucking their motorhead and we love them amazing and uh i think in a weird way that's what we want our metal to be though you know what i'm saying like we really do in a way that's what we want it to be all right man do you have anything else before we go on to today's topic
0: no i mean i think next week maybe uh we run through our top 10 albums of the year for our next show I think it'd be fun to have the listeners see what our backgrounds are and what we're really enjoying. Just because these great metal releases of 2021 are not on the Billboard charts, I'd like to celebrate some great releases that were released in 2021 in the metal and rock vein. So maybe next week you and I put together our list and we uh, debut our top 10 albums of the year.
1: Yeah, we could see. That could be fun. You know, you're kind of the nerd of the show. If you don't care, send me a list of hey. <laughs> albums that were released this year. Because <laughs> not by list, by the way. Come on, I kinda, man. <laughs> I kind of struggle in that vein. I'm like, uh, was this album this year? that look to be like 2019. I'm like, fuck. Yeah, That's fine. I, kinda, I, I struggle with that shit sometimes. So you can, yeah, hit me I'll, out, get, I'll, yeah I'll, I'll get, I'll get, the, I can
0: get you that list for
1: sure. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds right. good.
0: Are you ready for our topic today? It's a cool yeah, one. Man. Let's get I, it. And this was recommended by a couple of different listeners. So we're happy to, again, show you guys we are listening. We want to hear what show topics you want to hear. So I think a couple of listeners in the last couple of weeks had asked for us to do this show. So here it is. We are ranking and going into detail about all of the solo Ozzy live releases. Nothing Sabbath, and we're not including the Mr. Crowley EP, but all of the live releases. And we are gonna go through them, and then Josh and I are going to rank them, and we want to definitely hear your feedback on what you think.
1: Yeah, man, I'm kind of excited about it. I personally, I'm a big fan of live albums. You and I have had this discussion before. I love it. As good as Blizzard of Oz and Diary of a Madman are, it took tribute for Randy Rhodes to truly pop out as the icon that he became. I think the world took notice of him with those first two records. but There was just something about the magic of tribute that really propelled him. And for me, live albums can do that. They can really show an inner talent that maybe the studio doesn't always show. So I'm a big fan of live records. So I'm kind of looking forward to digging into this one with you.
0: Shockingly, I'm not a big fan of live releases. I much prefer studio work. I think sometimes live releases are a little bit too canned and overproduced. Sometimes I prefer bootlegs to be perfectly honest, but as you'll see, as the show goes on, one of my all time favorite records is as produced as it gets. So there is the uh, conundrum for me and the hypocrisy, but yeah, live records are fine. Sometimes I think they're a little bloated and, I don't understand still why drum solos are released on live records. Kind of boring to me, but at the end of the day, I always prefer the studio release, but there are some amazing live records that Ozzy has released in his career. So it was fun to do a deep dive on it.
1: Drum solos. They kind of need to go on the live record. It's same. Go as in like go home, and not be on the live record. And the same for the whole ninety second interlude between the last song of the night and the encore. I hate when they leave that in there. Looking at you, children of the grave, on every live Aussie album ever, I believe. (laughs) Where the song ends, and then you got ninety fucking seconds before the next track comes in. Just whittle that shit down to about ten or fifteen seconds, and let's move on. You know, I don't know why
0: they always want to do that. So hey, anytime Aussie wants to come out and give me a, what do you want to hear? I'll take it. (laughs) I'll take it all day.
1: I don't mind the banter. Let me be clear. When he's he's given the banter, I'm cool then. I'm talking about the time in between where all you hear is crowd noise for a minute or so. And it's like, Jesus, let's move on.
0: How brutal is it on modern day, Mr. Crowley's, before he starts Uh, singing? (sighs) Jesus, it drives me crazy. It actually drives me crazy live, to be honest.
1: Yeah, it does. All right. So that brings us to the 1982 release, Speak of the Devil. Which was recorded at the Ritz Theater in New York, New York, back on September the 26th and 27th of 1982, and then released on November the 27th, 1982. Really quick turnaround on that one. Very interesting album, Dan. I know you're a big fan of it, as am I, but you know, it's this interesting on top of seeing this amazing set list, people some people may not realize the Ritz doesn't even hold a thousand people. Can you imagine seeing Ozzy in that environment in that time frame? It'd be so fucking cool.
0: It is. That's in my notes as well, Josh. I can't believe that that was recorded in a club that held under a thousand people. Blows my mind. Obviously, Talk of the Devil in the UK, I want to throw that out there as well. We've mentioned this a few times. Ozzy is bald during the performances, which I absolutely love. I also believe Ozzy is wearing a wig on the album cover, which me and Josh have laughed about for the last couple of years. It's a great record, man. I cannot speak enough about Brad Gillis and Tommy Aldridge and Rudy Sarzo. It is Ozzy doing Sabbath as an Ozzy solo band. These songs are way more modern and sound 1982.
1: 100% sound 1982 is the perfect album for what it's supposed to be. Like you said, Ozzy solo doing Sabbath songs. They take the spirit of what Randy Rose did with Iron Man, children of the grave and paranoid and they really knocked it out of the park on the entire set list they found a way to make the entire show sound just like those three songs to where they are the songs you know and love from black sabbath but they have a 100 different tone and spirit to them man i fucking love speak of the devil and for many listeners including myself it was the gateway to black sabbath i heard this before i really heard much black sabbath material how about you
0: I had this, and I had We Sold Our Soul for Rock and Roll, and those were our t- my two gateways, and then I eventually bought them all, right? Once I we shared, them.
1: We absolutely share a brain and a heart, man. My first Black Sabbath album was We Sold Our Soul for Rock and Roll also, so, yeah. <laughs> so damn funny.
0: You know, yeah. I, I've been making an argument for years. I know a lot of people, revisionist history here in the States, Speak of the Devil was way more popular than Live Evil here in the States. It did better in the charts. It's a better record. Sorry, Black Sabbath Dio fans. This is just an incredible release. The band is on fire. Ozzy sounds like a god on this record. In the studio, not in the studio, I don't give a fuck. He sounds amazing. And let me tell you why. He had just got done working with Randy, who taught him how to work his voice in keys. Now, we got to remember, and we talk about this a lot on the show Black Sabbath, towards the end of their career, did not help Ozzy live. If they were doing Symptom of the Universe, He played it on the guitar in standard tuning, and they played it a step and a half higher than what it was originally written and sang. Same for Megalomania. Same for Snowblind. All of those songs that were tuned to C-sharp, they played to 440 and was wrecking Ozzy's voice. He doesn't know if he's coming or going in the late 70s live. His voice is so fucking high. But Randy taught him how to use his voice, and that obviously transpired to Speak of the Devil, and all of these songs are in the right key. It's amazing how awesome Ozzy sounds. His voice is super powerful. It sounds like classic. Ozzy is as close to the vinyl recordings as they originally were when they came out. And I think that is what sets this album apart.
1: Yeah, 100%, man. That I love, like you said, the sound of his voice. I love the banter between songs on this album. I think for all of the Ozzy live albums that that they've released... I love to hear him talk more on this one than any of them. He just the old Fillmore East where we used to, you know, smoke dope and bang groupies (laughs) or whatever. All he says. I mean, I fucking love that shit, man. That's what I love about live albums.
0: No question. And um,
1: he sounds really great here. There's a lot of confusion on when the vocals were recorded. You know, did he go in the studio and re-record the vocals? We do know they recorded two nights, like I said earlier, at the Ritz. But they also recorded a sound check. So some of those vocals could have been recorded at soundcheck also. It would make more sense to me for Max Norman to produce this, for him just to take an alternate vocal take, if one is out of key or if one is flat or if he loses his breath, whatever, and just replace it from another one of the recordings. But, you know, you never know. But uh, we do know that some was definitely recorded at Soundcheck because Sabbath Bloody Sabbath was never performed at either one of those shows, and it's on the record. It was performed at Soundcheck, which not a bad idea. I mean, why not give yourself some slack and give yourself some breathing room in case you have issues on the recordings? I thought that was an excellent idea to record Soundcheck.
0: Yeah, it's a brilliant idea, and I love the fact that they had three shows to choose from. We know nothing was picked from the 26th, so the whole show from Speak of the Devil was the 27th. And whatever they chose from Soundcheck. Now, Max Norman has come out and said that three songs were recorded during Soundcheck. And if you can listen, you could tell. All I know is for sure, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, like you said, I cannot figure out the other two. Maybe Symptom of the Universe, but I'm not sure. I cannot figure it out. He said
1: if you listen closely to the crowd noise, you can tell the difference. I could never discern them either. I don't know which ones it could be. I do know I love this fucking record. So I'm definitely glad they released it. I know it was definitely, it caused some contention in the group. You know, it was well known that Randy didn't want to record this album before he passed. The band kind of sided with Randy on whatever he wanted to do. And then Randy agreed to record it. He passed and they get Brad Gillis in. But yeah, I will say, as much as I love Randy and I would have loved to have heard Randy play these songs, Brad Gillis knocked it out of the park, man. When I hear this album, he's, I don't want to say he's the star of the show because Ozzy sounds really fucking good. I love Brad Gillis' playing on this album. His version of N.I.B., the guitar solo, when he comes out of it. <tries> it's fucking bad to the bone. Mr. It, Brad Gillis, it, yes. I love it.
0: Brad Gillis is definitely the star here. One of the things I love about Speak is how diverse the track list is. They hit every album but Technical Ecstasy, which I always loved that they were picking songs from multiple albums it wasn't just black sabbath paranoid master of reality like what we got much later here we go we got symptom of the universe Snowblind, black sabbath fairies wear boots war pigs the wizard nib sweet leaf never say die sabbath bloody sabbath iron man children of the grave paranoid i think i can make an argument the songs i just named became classic sabbath songs because of speak of the devil i'm telling you before Speak of the Devil, I don't remember Fairies Wear Boots and The Wizard being classic songs. But right when Speak of the Devil came out, everybody was fucking loving them and going back to the originals. NIB is another one. Odd that NIB doesn't start with the bass intro. Love it. Let's go. And the whole band kicks in, right? na. Yeah. Such a killer version of NIB, man. Here's another cool fact. Sweet Leaf was left off the original CD for Time Constraints when it was transferred over to CD for the first time. And then it was, of course, reinstated in the 1995 reissue.
1: The point about this album helping those songs become the classics, that's something you've said to me for years. And I had never really thought about it before, because like I said, this was my gateway to Sabbath. And I didn't totally realize what Sabbath songs were considered the classics necessarily at that time. But as times wore on, I think a lot about you saying that, man. And I think you're 100% accurate. I really do. Like you said, you know, fairies wear boots. It hadn't been in the set list for almost almost a fucking decade. I mean, they played that stuff through like 72, 73, drop. Uh, NIB, 72, 73, drop. They didn't play NIB on the Never Say Die tour or the Technical Ecstasy tour or even the Sabotage tour. Those songs went on later to become Black Sabbath staples that you can't imagine going to a show when they don't do NIB. But like you said, those songs were not staples at that point. This album made those songs the songs that, Ozzy and Sabbath fans were overly familiar with. I mean, the only one that's on it that really doesn't necessarily get play for being a Sabbath staple is probably Never Say Die. Totally fucking it. awesome that they played it on there, but it's Good not version, even that you would see, oh, I love his version of it. But yeah, I, I think you're right, man. I think that's an excellent point, and I'm glad you kind of pointed that out to the listeners because that's something I've always thought about that you said to me that I agree with once you made me think about it.
0: Yeah, I definitely stand by it, and I believe it's factual, to be honest. I mean, these songs are all Sabbath classics, and that has a lot to do with Speak of the Devil. Next up, we have Ozzy Osbourne, Randy Rhodes Tribute. That was released on March 19th, 1987, five years after the death of Randy Rhodes. Originally recorded in Cleveland, Ohio, on May 11th, 1981. Now, this was a bootleg that was around for years called Bat's Head Soup, I remember it when I was a kid. Clearly, I remember the album cover of them sitting at Disney World on the back step. Amazing, amazing show. Tribute, like you said earlier, turned on uh, a whole bunch of metal fans onto Randy Rhodes. Because you got to remember, by the time 1987 hit, metal was much further along than by 1982. It was way more popular. So it really took Randy Rhodes from being that guitar icon to a legend. It is an awesome, awesome performance. It's got Rudy Sarzo on bass, Tommy Aldridge on drums, same rhythm section as Speak of the Devil, obviously recorded before Speak of the Devil. Again, this is a great record. It really showcases a lot of the Ozzy solo stuff. It was recorded on the Blizzard of Oz tour here in the States, even though they do add a couple of the Diary of Madman tracks. I know, Josh, this is your favorite record of all time, so I know what, where your list is going <laughs> to rank, but uh, talk a little bit about your love for tribute.
1: Man- Tribute is the album that began all this for me. There's just no doubt about it. I had heard Crazy Train, loved it, had heard Iron Man, loved that song. But I went to the record store to try to find this Crazy Train song by Ozzy Osbourne, and I saw Blizzard of Oz, but I also saw Tribute, and Tribute had Iron Man also. And I didn't know it was a live album. And I can remember picking up that record and going home and putting it on, and the first thing you hear was the live, and I was like the live ambient noise, and I was like, fuck. It's a fucking lie. And at the time, I was so disappointed. And I remember I cleaned my room and listened to it through like twice. And I was fucking hooked, man. I was hooked instantly, fell in love with Randy Rhodes, had to find everything Randy Rhodes there was. I went to Rockabilly and ordered all these t shirts and a watch and all this Randy Rhodes shit. The after hours bootleg VHS tape, which looked awful back then. If you, you old time listeners will know what I'm talking about when you used to get those bootlegs, they looked awful. But man, Tribute is the one that did it all for me. And You know, also features goodbye to romance and no bone movies from Southampton, nineteen eighty. And that was really cool that they added those on, but the kicker for everyone was the studio Outtakes of D. You know, Dan and I, if you've listened to this show, you know that we love behind the scenes, we love outtakes, we love demo versions. I mean, how fucking beautiful was it to put the outtakes of Randy Rose recording D on that album? I mean, whose idea was it? That was brilliant.
0: Yeah. I listen to it quite often. It's beautiful. I just love listening to Randy speak. You know, it's getting smoother now. I love that line. Threaded you know, that and wrong. Yeah. it's yeah. jet. It's a jet. It's, it's, it's such an awesome, awesome outtake for sure. And great point on the Southampton. I do want to say real quick that Iron Man, Children with the Grave Paranoid that ends the show from Cleveland was originally supposed to be the end of Speak of the Devil. So when those guys were recording Speak of the Devil, they were told we're not recording those three tracks because we're just going to use the Randy stuff. And at the last minute, they pulled that idea and used the tracks that they recorded that night. I thought that was kind of a cool little tidbit. Thank God. Yeah, absolutely.
1: a cool tidbit, and thank God they did. I mean, Smarter Heads definitely prevailed in that situation. So,
0: Yeah, that would have been crushing. I do have to say, I think Ozzy sounds great here. You and I have been really listening very, very closely to the tribute, and I've been listening to the bootlegs. This is not re-recorded. Tribute is live. What I believe happened, Max Norman received two tapes. He thought it was the same show, but they weren't. He received a tape of Cleveland. He, tape, he received a tape of Montreal. And if you listen closely, the vocals are comped from both shows. You know, There's a very clear part in Flying High Again that I uncovered that is exactly the same take from the Montreal show, which is the Aussie live release, which we'll get to. So I think it was a brilliant idea for Max to kind of comp the show like that. But that is Ozzy live vocally.
1: Yeah, and it makes total sense that Max would do that because we believe he did the same thing for Speak of the Devil. I mean, you have three or four takes, in this case two takes, of the same set list and take the best recording of each vocal line. If Ozzy sounds a little bit out of key here or whatever, use it from the other recording, not a problem. He said that one recording wasn't as good as the other. I recall reading that. Yeah. But he had two recordings to choose from. And he kind of went mostly with the one. But like we said, we believe he sourced the other for certain
0: lines and so on and so forth. So he liked the recording better with Randy Louder.
1: Yeah. And of course, the two tracks I mentioned earlier with Goodbye to Romance and No Bones Movies, you know, that's the original Blizzard band right there. That's Lee Kerslake on drums. That's Bob Daisley on bass. And that show exists. I've spoken about it a lot on the show, I've spoken about it a lot with my friends. Southampton, 1980. It's the first recorded show in history of Ozzy Osbourne Live, but it's never been released to the fans, and it breaks my heart, and they just got to figure it out one day. It was supposed to be in, on the Blizzard of Oz 30th anniversary box set, and some more shit went down with Bob, and it didn't come out. But, man, the fans deserve that recording so bad. And, and They do.
0: Just for the live version of you looking at me looking at you, I have bootlegs absolutely. of it, but I'd love a proper recording.
1: A proper release. And the first recording of... It, well, in our mind, it is the greatest band of all time, those four guys together. Yeah, no and, question. Yeah, and and Ozzy and Randy in their infancy, you know, just, just starting to figure this thing out. Like, who, why would you hold that back from us? You know, this was that's my one peeve, man. Let's, let's get this one out there. We know it exists. It was actually on promos for the box set before it was released, and you could see it. Southampton, 1980, Ozzy Live. And then they ended up going with the Ozzy Live that we know and love today, which was the, uh, live on the Blizzard Tour 1981 comp show. So, But that said, back to Tribute. Yeah, everyone already knows my number one on this list because it's my all-time favorite record, and I've stated that several times on the show. But man, this is so great. Randy's guitar playing. The guitar solo was actually from the Montreal show that we referenced earlier. I don't know, through Paranoid is Cleveland, like you said. The guitar solo was taken from Montreal. I think they just kind of preferred that one a little bit. Probably the correct call, because every time I've heard of Randy Bootleg after, I never quite like it as much as I do the one on Tribute. Yeah, agreed. It's special. Yeah, it's special. He nailed it that night. Absolutely love that take. To me, it's the greatest rock and roll album of all time. If I was stuck on an island for the rest of my life with nothing to listen to but one album, that's the one I'm taking with me.
0: That's big words, my friend. It's definitely amazing. I will have to say... I'm going to ruffle some feathers right now. The solo on Children of the Grave might be the greatest thing I've ever heard. So let me get on my soapbox here. Four years, I have to hear bullshit that Dio sounds better than Ozzy on Live Evil doing the Ozzy Sabbath era songs. It's like nails on a chalkboard for me. Drives me, me crazy. Nothing against Dio. I love Dio Sabbath. Absolutely one of my favorite all-time albums. But him doing Ozzy? No thank you. Typically, I don't like when people play Tony either. Only the original four really knock out that Sabbath stuff. But let me tell you, this could be the definitive version of Children of the Grave. That Chuck Berry solo he does at the end moves me every fucking time I hear it. The guy is on fire. Randy is just brilliant. And the fact that he wasn't even a big Sabbath fan and that's what he came up with is amazing. Another thing I love about it, too, is obviously we know Children of the Grave is tuned to C-sharp. And Randy transposes the song to C-sharp in a standard tuning, which is really cool, so Ozzy can keep his same range. And that's the shit I'm talking about, that Randy would really work with Ozzy. That would have never happened with the Sabbath guys. They would have just played that song in E, going from Iron Man, Children of the Grave, Paranoid. But Randy was able to transpose that song to its proper key— even though it was an octave higher, so Ozzy can keep the same range and tone. Children of the Grave, clearly the highlight.
1: For years, I've watched Ozzy on videos discuss that, and when I was younger, I never quite knew exactly what he meant. He'd say, And just like you said, he would say, Randy worked with me. He sat down with me and worked with me. And that's exactly what he's talking about. He catered the keys of these songs with Ozzy so that they worked for him in, in a live performance, live setting. But to piggyback what you were saying, Children of the Grave is the highlight of tribute, man. It's so fucking good. It's so good. I mean, it's just, that part right there latches the whole thing together. It's just so fucking good. And I remember reading years back when Randy played with Ozzy in Las Vegas and Kevin Dubrow wrote out to watch them. And after the show, him and Randy hang out till daylight, Kevin said. And he said he had the bootleg of what went on to be tribute of all the albums. He had this bootleg from Cleveland. And he told Randy, he said, man, you slay this Children of the Grave' song, this Black Sabbath tone. And he said, Randy was like, nah, you know, nah. And Kevin was like, no, man, like you, this is fucking amazing. You got to listen to this. Like, you, you're so good. And what Dan said, you know, Randy said, nah, it's just a bunch of Chuck Berry blues riffs, man. It's nothing, it's just some blues licks, no big deal. And Kevin said he made Randy listen to that cassette tape. So it's kind of neat to know that Randy did hear Children of the Grave" from Tribute before he passed away. And he said that Randy, who was never one to give himself a pat on the back, said, man, like, yeah, it's pretty good. Like he was he, and once he heard it himself back, he was like, yeah, like it was, it's, it's all right. You know, he's kind of proud of that recording itself. So that just goes to show you how good that really was. And like you said, knowing that really deep down, he didn't really enjoy those songs that much. He's you know, it's not a slap in Sabbath's face, to Randy, to say I'm not really a fan of Black Sabbath. Tony has said similar about Randy Rhodes. You know, when they ask him about Randy, he's like, well, it's nothing Eddie Van Halen wasn't already doing and stuff like that. He's not He's not right. ripping him. It's just, yeah, he was all right. He was a good player. But, I mean, you know, it's okay if Randy wasn't a Black Sabbath fan. But, yeah, I'm like, you, he tears that song down. Absolutely tears it down. And it, it's my favorite part of Tribute also.
0: And also, Crazy Train was released as a single from this. And I also believe Crazy Train was cemented as Ozzy's legacy song based from – the re-release from Tribute. Before Tribute came out, Crazy Train Flying High Again, it was 1-2, which was more popular, to be honest. But once Crazy Train came out off of Tribute, it just flew right past Flying High again.
1: And the video was so fucking
0: cool. It's amazing. Yeah, The
1: video had Randy's polka dot fly V going down the train tracks yep. and shit. And it's just fucking amazing. It was a perfect video.
0: I actually think I prefer the live version more. And I never say that, but... No offense to Lee. I, it's I the drums. You know, yeah, it's the <laughs> yeah. drums. We talked about this. Lee and Bob, Randy and Ozzy. That's my favorite band of all time. But there's something about Tommy crushing Crazy Train that just takes that disco beat away a little bit.
1: And the intro, I mean the intro on, on the C D is cool as shit too on the original album release. But yeah, with that little you know, hearing it live with the you know the lead guitar solo coming into it and stuff like that. So that was really cool also. It's a little bit different version. But like you said, Crazy Train it was released twice. It was released as a single in nineteen eighty and then again in nineteen eighty seven. And yeah, that's probably what catapulted it to being the mainstream mammoth that it is today. So but yeah, tribute's fucking amazing. Of course we all love tribute, and I'm sure everyone listening loves tribute. Okay, so that brings us up to the next Aussie release, which is Just Say Aussie, which is a live EP from the No Rest for the Wicked tour. It was released on March the 17th, 1990, and they say it was recorded November of 1989 at the Brixton Academy in London, UK. That, my friends, is a myth because that show never happened. <laughs> so <laughs> there's definitely some confusion on where Just Say Ozzy was officially recorded. But definitely a slamming release. My only complaint with Just Say Ozzy is I wish they'd give us the whole fucking show because I think it's on fire. I've said for years, this lineup of Randy Castillo, he's settling in. It's his second album and tour. Geezer Butler on bass. Zach Wild, a young hungry, on fire fucking Zach Wild. I love Zach, man, but I don't know if he was ever as good as he was on Just Say Ozzy and on that tour. He is so fucking good. The Moscow Music Peace Festival, all that stuff, that's the Zach Wild that just, he's so fucking good. And Ozzy sounds excellent. I really wish we had the entire show, but man, you definitely can't go wrong with what we got because it's fucking beautiful. What do you think?
0: Well, I think we have the entire show. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, I think... It was just these six songs that they probably uh, played at, at Electric Lady Studios in New York. This is clearly recorded in the studio, the band, Ozzy, everything. But like you, I know what you're saying. They should have just fucking released all of the Philadelphia show from 1990. The band is killing it. They sound amazing. Ozzy sounded fantastic on this tour. I got to see him twice on the store, and I'm not quite sure why they just did the EP. My hunch is this. Ozzy And I wish he still thought like this or Sharon didn't want to rehash. I don't know. Crazy train suicide solution. Paranoid. Because the one thing I love about just say Ozzy is these six songs that are on it, especially when they first came out, were very unique to be in a live setting. A lot of it's from Novus for the Wicked. We got Miracle Man, Bloodbath in Paradise and Tattooed Dancer. Shocking Fire in the Sky didn't make it because he did play it from that tour as well. We have a Shot in the Dark version, which hadn't been live yet on release. And then, of course, we have Sweet Leaf from War Pigs, which at the time really wasn't on a lot of live stuff. It wasn't Iron Man, Children of Grey, Paranoid. So when it came out, I thought the song selection was dynamite because it was a little bit different.
1: Yeah, good point. I totally agree. I mean, now that you've stated that way, that's definitely a good point when you consider time and place. Those were not your typical Aussie songs you saw on every release. And that could have a lot to do with it. Like you said, that definitely makes sense. The uh, definitive version of Shot in the Dark, I think any Aussie fan will agree with that. It's so fucking good. Aussie himself said, I think he even made the comment that that's the only reason why they even released the recording was for that version of Shot in the Dark. It's just so fucking good,
0: man zach slays on it man absolutely slays
1: he slays on it no question before a user hates you i'm going to go ahead and point out tower theater in philadelphia was 89 oh yeah that's right then, you know we are aussie historians but we're human so, so no, i'll just put that there real quick before someone <laughs>
0: <laughs> before yeah, someone yeah.
1: hates on us online but you know
0: but yeah i knew that i only said 90 because just say aussie was released in 90 so it was stuck yeah. in my brain of course the yeah. 89 show well, fuck it. They could have even done the 89 Masco Peace Festival show, too.
1: Absolutely, man. Yeah. It's, that whole tour was so – everything I've seen from that tour was so slamming, man. It's just so fucking good. But, yeah, I, I, I'm like you. I love what we have. I mean, it's a great version of War Pigs, great version of Sweet Leaf. And like you said, those are different songs that hadn't really been played in Ozzy's set list before. I'm supposing they didn't release a full album also because they did just do the Ultimate Aussie live video. So, while that wasn't an audio release, it just came out like two years, three years earlier. And, and then it Trib- a and tribute,
0: too, was yeah. not right around the same time. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, there was a lot of live material coming out at that time. And I'm like you, I think it might have been recorded in a studio. It just doesn't make sense for it to be at a date that never existed. You know, there's, it could easily be a mistake at some point, but
0: I don't see how that happens otherwise. My favorite thing about Just Say Ozzy. is in the liner notes how he says playing again with geezer and i'm paraphrasing here but almost to the point like now i come full circle and i could put my black sabbath songs to rest ah you know
1: that's (laughs) That's hilarious isn't it
0: (laughs) um i love the album cover man i mean i love the play on just say no zach crosses out the n and, and writes ozzy next to it i i know it's so simple and silly but just say no was so fucking big in the 80s i i I love that little play on words.
1: Holy fuck. I never noticed that was Zach before. That's Zach on that. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be you Zach on the cover? cover. That has to be Zach. God damn. I'm looking at it. I think it is Zach. I have yeah. never paid attention. I bet that really honestly happened. Kind of like when Ozzy was pissing on the back of the Ordinary Man album. Like, I think that actually happened outside Watt's house. <laughs> right, he was pissing in yeah. the bushes and they, got, and they got a picture of him, you know? So yeah. like, fuck it. I bet this actually happened. And they just sent a photo of it and said, fuck it, let's use it. It's awesome. Huh.
0: Agreed. It's interesting. I, I can't
1: believe I've never noticed that before. But yeah, I think you're right, man.
0: Oh, yeah. I always thought that was Zach since day you one.
1: Know, Zach makes an appearance on uh, f- from time to time, too, like on this and, and live and loud vocally. I don't mean, And I don't mean singing. I mean speaking. You know, he would speak to the crowd during the guitar solos and stuff. And you can hear some of that here and there.
0: And you could tell the Aussie banter is definitely canned. It's not natural at all. And I love that he he fucking talks about featuring Randy Castillo on Tattooed Dancer, which is what he played his drum solo in when, when the tour was happening. But then there is no drum solo. <laughs> so it's like, There's wait, what, what are we featuring here, Ozzy? I love it. Yeah.
1: Thank God they cut the drum solo out. They got it right that time. I love Randy Castillo. Love you, man. But yeah, we're glad to see that one go.
0: <laughs> Agreed. So yeah. again, I'm like you. I think I actually love Sweet Leaf and War Pigs. And again, God, Ozzy sounds really good on Sweet Leaf here. And as we know, he loses it a little bit as he gets older. That one becomes a little harder for him to sing. In 1989, because it was recorded in November of 89, he still sounds amazing.
1: Yeah, totally. It's definitely a worthwhile recording. It's disappeared from the streaming services. I think they need to put that back up there. I don't know why you wouldn't want to have that, or Speak of the Devil for that matter, which is not on the streaming services just as a catastrophe. That's a complete fucking catastrophe.
0: Yeah, and they also uh, claim that... They claim it was pulled because of legal struggles with Phil Sassoon, who is the writer of Shot in the Dark with Ozzy. And if anybody B's the two different versions, they're worlds apart, uh, especially during the verses. But why would he have the ultimate sin on the streaming services? It makes no sense.
1: It makes no sense at all. And so Phil, I, I Phil don't has know.
0: publicly come out and said there is no issues.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's fun. You know, time heals all wounds anyway. I mean, after a while, you all just kind of – you get older, you say, fuck, it. it ain't worth it. You know what I mean? It's just not worth it.
0: Right. All right, up next is Ozzy's Live and Loud, released June 28th, 1993. And this was taken from his No More Tours tour. And this was recorded throughout the country in a whole bunch of different spots throughout the whole tour. So there's a lot of different places that that the songs were pulled from, which I thought was okay. I'm not a fan of these type of live shows. I I think you're going to agree with me. I'd much always rather prefer a real show. Like, this was recorded in Cleveland in 1981, right? I I don't like when they pull songs from different places. It just doesn't feel, I don't know, I just don't get the same live feeling. But this is really the reason this was released is because Ozzy really thought this was going to be his last record. He had announced his retirement. He really thought he had multiple sclerosis, and this was going to be a farewell to his career. And I love the fact that he has sprinkled in a, a song from every one of his solo releases. It's something I've always really, really enjoyed about this release.
1: Yeah, no question. I'm like you. I really prefer Live One Night, Live at Madison Square Garden, stuff like that. I've made that very clear on the show many times. That's my biggest beef with this uh, release. They've recently, with the re-release, done the San Diego tracks that they've put out there, You know, both video and audio. I would prefer Live One Night been live in San Diego. It's just like you said earlier, it's just got a better atmosphere to it that way. It's more fun. And it puts you in that seat in San Diego for that hour and a half you're listening to it. You know, I just really enjoy that. But that said, I mean, I think for most fans, Live and Loud is probably the definitive live Aussie record from a standpoint of career spanning. Of course, we know he went on to do a lot more after Live and Loud, but it does have, like you said, it represents every album. It's kind of a greatest hits tour for sure. I mean, you got songs like Miracle Man on there. And, of course, there's a ton from the Number Tours album, which, of course, went on to be one of his biggest selling albums of all time. So those all went on to be setless staples. He won his first Grammy for this with I Don't Want to Change the World. Yep. But it's it's a solid recording, man. Randy Castillo, Mike Inez on bass. I'm not overly crazy about Mike's sound on the bass, to be totally honest with you. When you compare that to Geezer Butler or Bob Daisley, it's a little thin for me. You can hear his pick hitting the bass strings sometimes. I know that's be, being very picky, but it ain't quite what I'm into. But man, that live version of Changes, which was recorded at Red Rocks during a check, So fucking good, man. Zach Wilde playing the piano. I love Tony Iommi, but he's not a pianist. Zach is an accomplished piano player, and it sounds so much better hearing Zach play that song on piano and Ozzy singing it. I love that live version of Changes.
0: Yeah, I think you're spot on. My two favorite tracks on on Live and Loud is actually Changes and Black Sabbath with the original four getting back together at Ozzy's last show, and I think it's on fire. I love this version of Black Sabbath. And for me, when it came out in 93, it was so exciting because it was really the first official live Black Sabbath release. You know, I know Live at Last was released, but this was the first official Black Sabbath release with Ozzy and the original guys. And I was just so fucking excited for it. And they sound killer. It still bums me out they didn't release all four songs because they did record four songs that night. But I'm just still grateful we got that version of Black Sabbath.
1: Yeah, totally a strange move. You know, Ozzy recently re-released all this too, like on streaming and stuff like that. You would think those Black Sabbath tracks would have been added to that. That would have really created some good buzz to hear
0: Yeah, we all have the bootleg. They sound fine. They sound great. Yeah,
1: they sound great. So it wouldn't have been a big deal to go ahead and just throw those on there. But remember the release of the the grill speaker cover on the CDs and on on the video? Of course, Yep, that was another issue I had, though, with Live and Loud was the, the, the video release was shitty. It's so hard to sit down and watch a music video that lasts 90 minutes. You know, we want to see Ozzy performing these songs and Zach playing his parts in time. We want to see them really playing those licks and singing those notes. And all you see on that is flashy, real quick, produced from several different shows, different backdrops, different background, everything. It, it was sourced from 20 different damn concerts or something. And it's it was kind of annoying. I, it, I don't want to say annoying because I, I did watch it several times. But I think any listener or, or viewer would rather watch one solid performance. Even if it's not the same night they recorded that song, I would rather see one synced up correctly to look like he at least was playing it that night, not something totally random and off the wall. It was kind of, that was definitely, it's a hard watch. The best part is probably watching the speaker
0: fly out of Ozzy's ass at the beginning. Yeah, I do agree with you. I would have enjoyed this much more if it was just live from San Diego. I watched those videos that were just released last year a lot for the No More Tears anniversary because it's actually live. This, I it's perfectly said. It's like a, a music video. You know, I do like the part. There is that one little part from Arizona from KUPDR, look show here. They have that little snippet in the middle of it. I always, you know, I was at that show, so that was kind of cool. Yeah,
1: right. I was only like eleven years old, so I wasn't at that show. But <laughs> Allison Chains opened the tour, which is fucking awesome. That would be a great fucking concert to go to. Imagine that—you'd see Allison Chains, you'd see Ozzy. And of course, that's how they snagged Mike Inez to go with Allison Chains for Eternity. After that, so it, it definitely all played out proper for everybody. But, but yeah, I, I love Live and Loud, man. It's it's definitely up there for me. You know, all the versions of the songs are killer. There's none of them that really you want to skip past. It's, and back then, they played Mom I'm Coming Home on the acoustic guitar, which is kind of cool because they later went on just to always do I was doing it on an electric. As as tours progressed, it became easier to go ahead and just play it on a twelve string electric guitar or something, or sometimes even a six string electric guitar. Whereas on the Live and Loud, Zach actually pulled out an acoustic and and played it both ways. So it was was always kind of neat. But yeah, I love this one. Unfortunately, we didn't get the bonus tracks, which they were considering doing at the time also. I wish we could have got those. See You on the Other Side was recorded initially for Live and Loud. Yep. It would have been fun to see what they could have done with that also. But I think ultimately, it didn't need it from a standpoint of length. It's, it's, It's plenty long as it is.
0: I think the other track, somewhere in the back of my mind, is it was Amy. And I don't know why I feel that way, but I think it was See You on the Other Side and Amy were supposed to be the bonus tracks.
1: Yeah, it sounds right. All right, so that leads us to the next release, which is Live at Budokan from the Budokan Hall in Tokyo, Japan. Of course, the hall that's famous for a lot of live albums, live recordings, such as Cheap Trick and so on and so forth. It was released on June the 25th 2002 and was recorded on February the 15th, 2002 and was released on both DVD and CD. The one thing about Budokan that I will say, at least it was one fucking night, right, Dan? It wasn't a clip of 25 (laughs) different nights patched together. you know? Agreed. It's what we see is what we get, right? Yeah, I agree with that. But no, I like Budokan. It's definitely fun to hear the down-to-earth tracks. It's our only real recordings we ever got of those songs. They were never played any tour after that. So, you know, Gets Me Through, Junkie, that I never had. They're definitely the highlights for me. Ozzy recently released on the social media. I mean, it's been out for years on the DVD, but the live version of Believer with Rob Trujillo on bass. So that's kind of neat. You know, you look back at that. One of the gems of that concert, looking back, is Rob Trujillo being in the band before he went to Metallica. Right. He's so well known for them now. And it's cool to see his time with Ozzy for a lot of fans who may not have realized that he was with Ozzy before he went to Metallica. But Budokan, it is what it is. My favorite part of Budokan really is watching the crowd while Zach plays. This is on the DVD and not on the CD, but. I love to watch the crowd while Zach's playing the national anthem for the United States. (laughs) They're just kind of standing there looking at him like it's the strangest look. They're bewildered. You know, they're not bowing or they're not, you know, disappointed in it, but it's just kind of like, huh, he's playing the Star Swingle Banner right now. Like, I. You know, and, and the Asian crowd is kind of a little bit subdued anyway. I guess it may be their culture a little more. Like, they're not as r- raucous as what you would see, you know, in Argentina or somewhere. You know, it's an it's, it's interesting place to film a live DVD. But yeah, it's it's fun. It is what it is. You know, what do you think?
0: Yeah, I think they could have almost gone the Just Say Ozzy route here and just released the down-to-earth tracks with maybe Believer thrown in because that hadn't been played live in a hell of a long time. That's really what I go back to. I'm going to listen to different versions of the other songs live, quite frankly. You know, I think it's an okay show. I think it's kind of pointless outside of the the down-to-earth tracks. I didn't feel like it was time for Ozzy to release another live album that was so similar in his track listing. I think that's the problem with a lot of these later live albums is he doesn't d- diversify his track list enough. So I think that it's a fine release. I love the live versions. I like hearing Zach sing. But at the end of the day, it's just okay. I don't really visit it very much. I will tell you, I think it's ironic that Suicide Solution was left off this release because of time constraints. So you can only see that on the DVD, like Ian mentioned. So it is not here on the CD. I think No More Tears actually starts a little slow. You know, I, I'm like, come on, let's let's get it going. I feel like they're a little bit draggy on it a little bit. So it's not my favorite version. At the end of the day, it's, it's a fine release. I love Robert Trujillo. I love Michael Borden. So it's a cool lineup. I, I really like the down-to-earth lineup. Zach is awesome. His vocals definitely fill up the sound. He's singing a little bit of lead on that I never had. It, it's, a, it's a fine release. But at the end of the day, if I'm listening to a live Bark at the Moon version or, you know, even live No More Tears, I'm not really pulling out live a Budokan.
1: Exactly. Yeah, Zach singing the backup vocals on that I never had is probably the highlight for me. I love that. And I love the part, if you have the, the video, when they're doing that, it, it's like, it's on Junkie. Mike Borden spits his water, and I guess he hits the drum head, and then when he hits the drum head, you can see the water splash up. I thought yeah, that was such so a cool, cool fucking shot, man. That was a great shot. Underrated. No one ever mentions the ever tool we did today. That is just such a cool shot of Mike Borden. Junkie is probably the highlight for me. Yeah. God, uh, I was just going to say that. Love that song. Love that guitar solo. Love everything about it. But like you said, the down-to-earth tracks, it's definitely – I'm glad they released it for those songs, for right. sure. I love having the live version of those songs. And like you said, hearing Zach sing that I never had with Ozzy is really fun. Gets Me Through is just fucking awesome anyway. We talk yeah, about this song all the time and how we love that song.
0: You know, he actually changes the riff up just a little bit on Gets Me Through. He really chugs it really, really heavy on this version. And I actually really do love it. The The live down-to-earth tracks are phenomenal here.
1: Yeah, and it's very loud and over the top. Like it's just, it's so big sounding when it comes in. So yeah, definitely worth it. And like we said in a minute ago, Believer, you know, they played it in ninety eight at Ozfest, but other than that, it really like should haven't been played in years and years. So that was definitely cool when they broke that one out for that tour. So that was the highlight of that album. But like you said, for the most part, same old, same old with the set list. We you could live with it or live without it. So
0: Yeah, I would have been as happy if they would have just released Believer with three down to earth tracks for sure. Definitely. All right. Up next is the iTunes Festival London from 2010. This was recorded at the Roundhouse in London, England, and it was released on July 6th to iTunes only. So the only way to get your hands on this was to download it. It did not have a physical release. I think it was released for the single Let Me Hear You Scream at the time. Again, it's got a very typical set list. Again, we got Mr. Crowley, I Don't Know, Suicide Solution, I Don't Want to Change the World, and War Pigs. It couldn't be more of a stock Aussie set with Let Me Hear You Scream thrown in. The one thing I do love about it is the live lineup again. This is his Scream tour. So we got Gus G, Blasco, Tommy Clefettis, and our man Adam Wakeman. So for me, I like hearing a little bit of the different versions of the songs. But at the end of the day, this one doesn't also do very much for me. I enjoy it. I really like listening to Gus. I think Gus is an incredibly underrated guitar player, and I think he shreds. I love his classical influences that he also brings to the table. So I do like him playing Mr. Crowley and stuff. But I do enjoy Let Me Hear You Scream Live. What do you think, Josh?
1: Yeah, 100%. We had so little from that era and we've spoken so much on this show about how much we enjoy the era with Gus G and Tommy and Adam Wakeman and and Blasco. And so for that reason, I do love this release because we have so little with Gus. It is fun to hear his take on this. Let me hear you scream is clearly the reason for the release. Ozzy likes for us to hear the new songs live. He's he's kind of a big fan of that. He always has done that. Like, okay, here's the new single. After the tour, you'll get a live version of the song in one way or another, which is I'm cool. I'm totally cool with that. I love it. I do love that version of Suicide Solution on that record on the iTunes Live. And I'll tell you what I love about it. Tommy Clefetis, he's he's fucking – I love the end. He's a fucking machine. That guy is a timepiece. He's a stopwatch. He's like a fucking – he's mechanical almost. He's so fucking in time – I do love his feels on the end of that. And it's fun to hear Gus just kind of wailing away at the end of that, you know, just totally improv and whatever. But like you said, ultimately, there's no need for it other than it was fun. And it's, you know, online only release. As a matter of fact, I don't know how much how that really works with the iTunes specials. Anyway, they do a lot of those for different like live concerts and this and that so i don't really know what kind of politics plays into that and how they decide what songs to use or whatever you know we also have the live songs from the scream deluxe edition the tour edition that has like four or five songs on it no more tears is on that fairies wear boots another version of let me hear you scream i initially thought those would be from the same concert but they're not because the two versions of let me hear you scream are different so I don't know exactly where those are recorded off the top of my head. It may be in the liner notes, but I really like that live version of Fairies Wear Boots on that because Adam Wakeman, our guy Adam, when he comes in on rhythm on those songs, man, he brings a whole world of difference. It, it adds to that sound so much. So the one thing about iTunes Live that I do love is hearing Adam play rhythm guitar and hearing Ozzy with a more full sounding band lineup. That is kind of a, a key part of that. But ultimately, like you said, same old set list, nothing really new to write home about other than Let Me Hear You Scream.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at the set list that they did, and they did do Killer of Giants that night, and I don't know why he didn't select that one. Personally, I think that would have been much more exciting to have a live version of Killer of Giants, because they killed it on that tour. I love that they brought it back. The diehard fans were going crazy that he played Killer of Giants. It's a great song. Ozzy sang it well live. I'm not sure why it wasn't included. So yeah, if he would have done Killer of Giants and added that, I mean, he did do Killer of Giants, if that should have been added to the set list. But it really disappoints me that he only did Let Me Hear You Scream for the Scream tour, Fearless, in very, very few nights. I don't know why he didn't. Normally, he does a good three songs from a new album. He did it for Black Rain, so I'm not quite sure why that didn't continue on Scream. So very disappointed that not more Scream tracks were played live that night. He could have added Fearless, knowing that they were recording it. The one good thing is, it was recorded July 3rd, Released July sixth, so that's pretty cool that they they had that turnaround really really fast.
1: Definitely live. There's no questioning if that was yeah. live vocals or re-recorded. That's definitely live. So, yeah, it was just something fun for the fans. You know, that's one thing about all of this. Just say Aussie or any of these, even Budokan. It's just something fun for the fans to have. If you don't want it, you don't have to purchase it. You know what I mean? So, we definitely are appreciative to have all of them, and and we love them for what they are. And and I listen to all of them frequently on my playlist. So it's, it's all good. So, all right, that leaves us one more. We have the Aussie Live which was the second disc of the Diary of a Madman re-release back for the 30th anniversary of Diary of a Madman. And it is recorded, it says, on the Blizzard of Oz tour in 1981. But most fans have realized it's mostly the King Biscuit Flower Hour live in Montreal July of 1981 show that was on the radio that we also referenced earlier in our show that we believe was the second disc that, or the second record that Max Norman sampled for vocals and so on for tribute. So they've kind of managed to mash some of this album into tribute. And now you have Aussie live. And I think they sourced some stuff from the Southampton 1980 for Aussie live, which is Randy's guitar solo comes from Southampton 1980. So they're, they're kind of piecing some of these together to get the best possible product rather than just doing one live show. And then there it is. But Ozzy Live is a phenomenal release, man. It sounds so fucking good. The one takeaway I think every fan has when they hear is how good the fucking drums and bass sound, man. The difference between production quality in 1987 versus 2011 is fucking phenomenal. It sounds so damn good, Dan. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I love this show. Absolutely love it. Just to piggyback on what you just said, obviously, Max Norman had this because they used this solo for tribute. So he obviously had the tapes. So I agree. They definitely comped a lot of Ozzy's vocals from this show and the Cleveland show. I would say these are the two most iconic Randy live performances outside of maybe after hours. You know, these bootlegs have been going around for years. We all have had the King Biscuit Flower Hour show. It's phenomenal. I love that it's properly mixed because a lot of times you get these bootlegs and the guitars are too loud. And you're like, oh, my God, that he's not playing very well. And I'm not talking about Randy. I'm just talking about bootlegs in general or Ozzy's vocals are cranked too hot, and you're like, oh my god, Ozzy sounds like shit. But really, if anybody's cranked really hot like that, you're not going to sound great. The mix is super important, and that's what I love about them re-releasing these shows properly mixed, because it sounds amazing, and you nailed it. The rhythm section is on fire. I fucking love it. Awesome, awesome. I have it on vinyl. I have it on the Ozzy box set. I have it on the Diary of a Madman. I have it on the bootleg king biscuit flower hour one of my favorite aussie shows
1: yeah no question it's been around for a long time and it's always been a high quality recording but yeah hearing it you know souped up for 2011 those those drums are just so fucking good man And it really as much as tribute featured randy rhodes i feel like aussie live features tommy aldrich it's just so fucking good sonically man you put that in your vehicle and you crank the stereo up It sounds amazing. Sounds absolutely amazing. Your typical set list, though. Tracks 1 through 11. you know, you got I Don't Know, Crazy Train, Believer, Mr. Crowley, Flying High Again, Revelation Mother Earth, Suicide Solution with guitar solo, Still Away the Night with drum solo, Iron Man, Children of the Grey, Paranoid. I did out totally off memory, folks. A show in its entirety in 1981, and it sounds fucking stellar, man. It's a good recording. One thing about it, I've noticed there is a few flub ups with Randy in there that I think they leave in on purpose. You know, he kind of loses his tone on believer. He kind of, kind of hits the the fret when he's playing the guitar solo or something. It just kind of mutes out for a second. He just does like a slide real quick to get back into it. But you know, as great as Randy was, he was a human, and I do like hearing those little flub up moments also
0: because those it's always fun to kind of hear that. Speaking of flub up, she said Revelation suicide, but it meant Revelation steal away the night, then suicide.
1: Oh, damn it. Close enough. Yeah, they're going to
0: call you. Hey, I'm getting Uh, called out. You got to get called out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I was just spilling them off the top of my head. But yeah, so I I fucking love Aussie Live, man. It is kind of a rehash of tribute. There's no doubt about it. But with the time between the two albums and like we said, the production quality has changed so much. It's definitely worth the time and it's definitely worth the list because it's a fucking stellar record.
0: Listen, it's Randy. I mean, they can release as many properly recorded shows from this time period. As possible, and I don't think anybody is going to bitch and complain. My complaint is the later stuff that's just the rehash. But anytime we have a proper Randy release, just like if they did Southampton like we talked about, shit, that's going to be all of Blizzard of Oz as well. But fuck it. We're all dying for it.
1: Absolutely, and a Diary of a Madman tour show. You know, we all want an official release of, of Over the Mountain Life and the Band Jam. We know they've recorded some of the shows. I would love to hear the Band Jam officially released and Over the Mountain. We know Ozzy's struggling on Over the Mountain Life. We don't care. Nobody gives a shit anymore at this point. We just, you know, just let us have it. Let's enjoy it while we're all still here. You know, because it's something we know is out there that we'd love to have. So, yeah, I definitely love Ozzy Live. It's it's worth the time.
0: So, I just want to bring the listeners aware that. With the Blizzard and Diary remasters and anniversary editions that they put on the streaming services, all of those extra live songs that they've added come from this show. So, I don't know, Crazy Train, Mr. Crowley, Revelation, Steal Away the Night, and Suicide Solution are on the Blizzard of Oz 40th anniversary edition edition. And Believer and Flying High Again are on the Diary 40th Anniversary Edition on the streaming services, so they're readily available for everybody to hear, which is really cool. So, except for Iron Man, Children of the Grave, Paranoid, I'd still definitely try to find those because even though Children of the Grave isn't as good as the tribute version, it's still pretty killer.
1: And it still has that 90 seconds between it and Paranoid, which is fucking killer, also. Yeah. But in the other kind yeah. of way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but but I will tell you this: Ozzy comes out with the What Do You Want to Hear here, and here's something else. Twice on this record, Ozzy is berating the audience, which is not on any other live recording. He's calling them dummies. It fucking, let me hear you dummies. It always makes me kind of crack up, man. It's so fucking weird.
1: It is weird. And, you know, I didn't mention the banter, but there's some good banter on live, Live and Loud also. A thank you from the bottom of my black heart and all that stuff. He, he definitely, there was a lot of reflective moments on that recording that yeah. I kind of glossed over also that, you know, I do enjoy listening to him talk between the songs. So it's, it's always a highlight of any live show. So
0: yeah, the road to nowhere one is great too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Before we do our no, rankings, I just want to say one more thing, What I forgot to mention. And the one thing I don't like about just say Ozzy is how canned the audience sounds. You can hear the clips, when they, ch- they change out the one clip they're using and they're bringing in another live clip of the audience. And it really grates on my nerves on Just Say Ozzy, how obvious the fans are fake.
1: I just always assumed that was because they were cutting from track to track. I'd never really noticed that.
0: Oh, I- no. Listen to it. It's it's in the middle of the tracks.
1: Ugh. Yeah,
0: it's I don't, horrible. I don't,
1: I don't want to listen to it. <laughs> let, let me just be a layman. Let me just be a, a person who doesn't pay attention to that kind of shit and, and doesn't mind, you know? You got uh, absolutely man. I'm too I'm too busy hearing geezer over there just fucking thundering down, man. I don't want to listen to that shit, whatever.
0: And he does <laughs> he's amazing, gosh.
1: He he's something else, man. Geezer's so fucking good. So
0: also I just want to state, you know, no official live Jake recording. Salt Lake City is probably my favorite live show of all time. It's kind of a shame. It didn't have a proper release. So kind of bummed. I I have the so tired single, of course they came out. That's from that show. We didn't include it here because it, it didn't have enough, but that might be my favorite version of suicide solution live by honest. I, I love it. The ultimate Aussie was not released on CD. So we didn't inc- include it. We didn't include the Brad Gillis live speak of the devil show from California, Irvine. So there are a couple of things we didn't include, Mr. Crowley. So there are a couple of other things out there that we didn't include, but we felt like from an audio perspective, these were the right seven choices.
1: Yeah, I think so. And we considered throwing in the Black Sabbath releases also, but ultimately there's too many. It would be hard for us to get through all those. And maybe Black Sabbath deserves its own ranking here shortly as as the show moves on.
0: Yeah, we will definitely do a show about the Black Sabbath live stuff.
1: Definitely. So, all right, Dan, are you ready to give the fans our
0: rankings? Yes, sir. Seven through one. Let's do it.
1: Okay, you go ahead and start first.
0: All right, my number seven is the Aussie iTunes show from London. Not going to rehash much, just kind of pointless. Except for Scream. I like the Scream version.
1: Yeah, it's totally cool hearing Scream Live. It always bugged me that they shortened the course on the, the last... Time through, you know, it does it twice in the CD, and they only do it once live. And I, I'd imagine Ozzy probably tripped up over his vocals or something on that. So live, iTunes Festival was number seven for me also. Like you said, ultimately it's kind of pointless. We love it, good to hear you, Gus. Good to hear you, Adam. But as far as live albums go, it's on
0: the bottom. My number six is Live at Buda con Similar reasons.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna go for Live at Buda con there also for the exact same reasons you are. Ultimately, four songs is to take away from that album, and the rest of it is just kind of filler.
0: My number five is Ozzy Live and Loud. So, again, I do like it. Here, for me, is the is the line. Like, Live and Loud, Budokan, iTunes, definitely the back half.
1: I'm going to disagree with you on that a little and go with Just Say Ozzy there. Oh, oh. And as much as I love Just Say Ozzy, I give it the lesser ranking simply based on the fact that it's so short. Now, those versions of those songs are fucking amazing. That's the best version of Shot in the Dark in the world. Love all those versions are fucking stellar. No question about it. And you know how much I love that tour. I talk about it a lot on this show. But ultimately, Live and Loud just has a little bit more for me because it has such a long track listing, man. There's so much to it. They got a Black Sabbath reunion on that motherfucker. You got changes live in rehearsal or live at soundcheck. I mean, it's just fucking killer. It's got so much more depth. So I go with just say Ozzy at number
0: five. My number four is Just Say Ozzy, and it is clearly the superior of the two. The track listing is so much better. Live and Loud is just such a paint-by-the-numbers Ozzy set, man. I know it was cool to have all the No More Tears songs, but fuck, give me No Rest for the Wicked any day of the week. A fucking live version of Bloodbath in Paradise and Tattooed Dancer, killer, man. And Geezer playing Black Sabbath again with Ozzy, and Ozzy sounds so much better. And, and I'm sorry, I love Live and Loud, but... Zach is on fucking fire. And I don't know if he, as Children of the Grave, might be Randy's best live solo. Shot in the dark from just say Ozzy. It could be Zach's best guitar solo.
1: Yeah. No, I agree totally. I just think I go for number four for me to be live and loud, if listeners didn't figure that out already. The difference for me is I do agree totally with what you're saying about Bloodbath and Paradise and you know, tattoo dancers and all those live. It is fucking amazing to have a live recording of those songs, but I try to keep in mind. That when Live and Loud came out, Desire was new, I Don't Want to Change the World was new, Mom, I'm Coming Home was new, No More Tears were new, Road to Nowhere was new. So those were not the Aussie staples when this came out that they ended up being 20 years later that we hear them every time we go see them live. Yeah, I so, think that's a
0: valid point for sure. I just I think I prefer the No Rest for the Wicked songs yeah. better.
1: So for me, that's why I give it the nod, because while we've worn on a lot of those songs over time, when it was released, they were still the new tracks, the same as Tattooed Dancers was when Just Say Ozzy came out. So ultimately, massively huge set list, like I said, changes Black Sabbath with Black Sabbath. I'm going with Live and Loud there.
0: All right. So we do agree that there is clearly a top three, right? Yes. All right. So my number three is Ozzy Live from Montreal, Killer show, one of my favorite live albums of all time. Can't talk enough about it.
1: My number three is also Aussie Live. I think it sounds better than Tribute. I truly do. I think I think if I put them side by side and listen to each album, I do prefer the sound of Aussie Live better. They've done a stellar job of making that motherfucker sound awesome. But ultimately, Tribute has more tracks. It has the Randy Rhodes Outtake Sessions. But I still love Aussie Live, man. It sounds so good. And like you said, it's definitively top three Aussie Live release, no question
0: so my number two is tribute and this was very tough i almost ward with myself here and flip flop these but number two is gonna be tribute tribute the band is just more on fire i don't know there's there's a spark on tribute musically that i think the band is just clicking a little bit more on tribute And you and i've talked about this even though tribute was recorded first in Cleveland and, and, and Ozzy Lab was Montreal a couple of months later, I felt like the band was a little tighter on the Cleveland show. I think Tribute's amazing. It, it defined my guitar playing as a youth. There is not an album I tried to play along with more than Tribute as a guitar player. This was my school. Of guitar playing. No question. I had the, the guitar book that it is in pieces now because i played it so much. I just absolutely adore this album. Tribute is my number two.
1: You took the words right out of my mouth. Tribute was my school of guitar playing also. I had the temperature book, same as you, and I wore that motherfucker. I still have it, but like you said, it's in pieces. The cover falls off of it. Yeah. Pages come out of it because here I was a complete novice guitar player trying to play this miraculous fucking music. and God knows I still can't really play it worth a fuck, so I can't imagine. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) what it sounded like back then. Tribute, it shaped everything about me and my relationship with Ozzy and Randy Rhodes. So there's no doubt. But I was going to say, you mentioned that the band felt tighter on Tribute than they did on the Ozzy Live album, which went on to be the Montreal Ozzy Live. I think part of that could be that they knew they were going to be on the radio live for the Ozzy Live album. That King Biscuit Flower Hour radio show was broadcasting them all over the country. But that said, for me, number two is Speak of the Devil. I fucking love Speak of the Devil. I think it's, could potentially be Ozzy's most underrated release all around, if anything he's ever put out. These guys only had five days to learn and rehearse these songs. Five days. And they went out and recorded a live fucking album that is fucking stellar 30 years later. Actually, almost 40 years later now. We still fucking love. And it's fucking amazing. And like I said, it was the gateway for so many fans to Black Sabbath. Number two for me is Speak of the Devil.
0: Yeah, and that leads to my number one, which is Speak of the Devil slash Talk of the Devil now, this is tough because I definitely see the argument of tribute being number one. I really do. You know, Randy's my favorite guitar player of all time. Ozzy is my favorite singer of all time. It's phenomenal. There's just something about Speak of the Devil. Maybe it, it's the first release that really came out after I became an Ozzy head. You know, I I got into the band right when Diary of Man Man got, got released and then lived through Randy dying and then boom, Speak of the Devil's out a couple of months later. I don't know. There's just something about Speak of the Devil that resonates with me. I can virtually speak word for word of Ozzy's banter between the songs. It really was my education on Black Sabbath, which I think a lot of people fall into that. And I think the band is amazing. Brad Gillis really does a wonderful job. But the standout performance for me is Ozzy. I don't think Ozzy ever sounded better singing black sabbath songs than he does on speak of the devil they really really did a great job of getting him sounding at the top of his game i don't care if it's studio live who gives a fuck i love speak of the devil that is my favorite live album ever by anybody
1: i'm with you man i love it but obviously my number one is tribute i've definitely have not hidden that fact from any of the listeners it's been kind of clear from the start of the show tribute is the album that defined my youth it's the album that put me where i am today sitting here recording the show for you guys tribute in my eyes is the greatest album ever released because it done more for my life it's the album that changed my life the studio outtakes of randy rhodes playing d man just puts it over the top it's just so fucking beautiful so awesome the inside the liner notes and the pictures of randy as a kid with his family and stuff it was was, it was all done so well like we said earlier the music video was great But just even musically, it just set the tone for what I wanted to be. It inspired the rest of my life. There's no question about it. Tribute for me is the greatest live album of all time. But I knew you would pick Speak of the Devil the same as you knew I would pick Tribute. We definitely, there was no surprises here for me and you. We both know how we stand on those albums. But that said... I do know your affection for Tribute, as you know mine, for Speak of the Devil also. Those are two fucking amazing, amazing live albums. And to think that they were actually recorded barely over a year apart from each other, it's fucking yeah, crazy.
0: it is crazy, absolutely. Clearly the two best live albums of all time. For me, I know we're biased. Those are my two favorite live albums, period. Yep. I, Reunion would maybe be pretty tight with it, but but I absolutely love Speak and Tribute.
1: Yeah, I agree, totally. All right, man, before we sign off, do you have anything else
0: you want to say? The typical listeners, please, please let us know your order. Let us know what Aussie Live albums you prefer. And if you're not familiar with all these releases, do yourself a favor and go out and listen to them because they're all excellent. Even the ones that rank towards the bottom of our list, there's still some stellar musicianship going on and some really cool, unique songs on every single release. So even if you pick up iTunes Live, You know, at least listen to the great version of Let Me Hear You Scream. If you're listening to Budokan, listen to the slamming version of Junkie. There's something for everybody on every release.
1: Absolutely, man. I agree totally. And don't forget to like and subscribe. Write us a review. Let everybody know you're digging the show. That's how the word gets out for us. We're really lacking on reviews and ratings. So if you listen to us on whatever platform you listen on, give us a review. Give us a rating. Like, we appreciate that. Subscribe to our socials. But otherwise, till next time, guys, we will see you on the other side.
0: My computer sucks. And here we are again.
1: Yes. Sorry, listeners, I'm back to this shit.
0: Is there any way to get the goddamn uh, speaker closer to your mouth?
1: It's AirPods because the headphones that we had before were rubbing my shirt or whatever, making those fucking noises. Remember oh, that's
0: that? so fucking annoying. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love you, man. I love you.
1: When the fuck did I all of a sudden my, I, I was on Skype an hour ago and now it won't even fucking
0: load up? I mean, what is that shit? I don't know. Sounds a little fishy.
1: I think our competitors are out there trying to sabotage our gear. I think that's what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. It's Bods mayhem hours. It's the deep dive podcast crew. They're trying
0: to fucking sabotage our show. Yeah. I think that's happening.
1: And, and the most likely easy way to do that is to just sabotage my gear. Cause no one would ever suspect foul play.
0: Truthfully. I don't think they need to sabotage <laughs> it. They just let you be you. <laughs> bless it. Damn it. Yep. Okay.
1: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Diary of the Mad Men, the ultimate... I gotta be honest,
0: dude, you kind of sound like shit.